0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: The Squareball Podcast.
2: Hello to you. Welcome to Podcast 131. I'm Dan Moylan. I have with me Michael Normanson. Hello. And Daniel Chapman, our friend Moscow White. Hello. Uh, before we dive back into Frank Lampard's Derby County and all the aftermath of that, a little bit of news for you that the podcasts will be continuing over the summer, both this one and the extra ball as well, which will be either a hooray or a boo for you, depending on, on your opinion of the quality of these things. Very big thank you as well if you bought the mag this year or if you subscribe as well. We've got a summer
1: special on the way, which is very exciting, isn't it? Yes, Um working very hard on this. uh As well as it being Leeds United's 100th birthday coming up it's also the square balls 30th so it's a big celebration of the last 30 years of uh well, there was some glory in bits we've had some and that's all we ask just a little bit a little bit of success naturally we'll be focusing on that success to the <laughs> exclusion no it'll be miserable no it'll be honest it'll be good
2: well have we all calmed down a little bit now then after the uh the heightened emotions that we we found when we recorded the grief cast straight after the derby county defeat on wednesday how are you feeling now michael
3: it's made me ill it's made me physically ill. The morning after I woke up and I had three mouth ulcers. Um, And since then I've had a cold and I've been ill all weekend. And I can only blame that result.
1: (laughs) I survived until Friday. Well, after recording the Griefcast, I went home and drank a bottle of Argentinian Malbec from Aldi. Cheap and nice. And uh, Argentinian? I thought, yeah, I thought I could recommend it because I sat up till 4am drinking that and then woke up without a hangover, which is remarkable. And then got into... uh, writing the match report, got through that. And then, and then Friday morning, it hit me. I didn't realise quite how much I was asked to go on Radio 5 and talk to Adrian Charles about 11.30 in the morning with Phil Hay was on as well. And then uh, lots of people tweeting at me after that, asking what was (laughs) wrong with my voice because I'd I'd, I'd woken up that morning. And, uh, and it is a little bit, it'll sound weird, but sort of having to speak about it again is kind of bringing something, something back that's unhappy.
2: I kind of weirdly feel okay about it now, probably because I have, as you've kind of just hinted towards, and I've avoided everything. I've avoided Twitter. Every fan who came on to taunt us by the Squareball account, just muted them all. Mm. Kept a few bookmarked for depending on what happens with the playoff final, of course, because we will be dishing out some retribution. But above all else, I haven't seen the game. Mm. I won't be watching it back. And I don't know, has it maybe just not sunk in yet? Or am I just happy that it looks like Bielsa's probably staying? Because I did say previous podcasts I think that's kind of
1: more important I think the sinking in thing is a big part of it I'm not sure if it has yet and I know certainly on Thursday morning um I put this line in my match report and it's absolutely true that when I sat down the first thing I had to do was look at who com and see what the final score was and I, just, I just sat there looking at me screen I was like how did it finish <laughs> Cause I know it finished and I knew everything had happened, but then we looked at the score, 4-2. Like I just can't, I still now. It was a, it was a feeling more than a result.
2: Yes. That's what it was, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah,
1: Trying to, and trying to break that down into six actual goals. I think maybe because those three goals that Derby scored that killed us were just so quick. And that was, yeah, what I ended up saying on, on Five Live, it, it it's a shocking result to an extent that I don't know if maybe the the grief cast possibly captured it, but to go from two minutes before half time with two nil up, no team has ever led the league at Christmas and not been promoted, no team has ever won an away leg first and not gone through to the final. We've got the second goal. Like that was the moment where you could go you know what? We're through. I don't think that's an arrogant thing to for Leeds fans to have been thinking. It or, felt like it. Yeah, it's felt like what can possibly go wrong from here? And then an hour later, I know the goals came in 13 on the pitch minutes, but an hour an hour later, so that's half past eight, half past nine. It's all fucking over. Like the entire season is just absolutely imploded, and I've never seen a like an hour of football, 45 minutes of football, destroy a season that thoroughly from such a winning position, and that still feels extraordinary.
3: It's strange that you mentioned staying up until until um, four in the morning because I was the same. I didn't really want to go to bed. I just sort of got home and just sort of sat around being like,
2: oh God. Yeah. Well, we we came here, didn't we? And we recorded at 20 past 10. The grief cast was out by 20 past 11. And I got home, I think it was just before midnight, but I sat on the drive for 10 minutes, just sat doing nothing. Just and- I just had to sit and calm down because I think so much adrenaline was going on. And then I got in the house, sat in the armchair, listened to the grief cast and then just sat there for a bit. <laughs> and we weren't
3: alone either because we can kind of see where the the listens are coming on, from on the uh, the online stats for it. And between sort of it being released and midnight, like one and a half thousand people would listen to it. And then even if you look at the hour by hour stats, between like three and four in the morning, I know we do have some international listeners, but not enough to, to make this sort of a dent. Like 200 people listen to it, listening to it. <laughs> in the dead eight, eight of night. Eight <laughs> hours when everyone should be asleep, everyone. <laughs> but people are just obviously awake
2: going, oh, Jesus. I mean, speaking of that, I say I've been all right with it largely. I didn't sleep properly until probably Saturday night into Sunday morning. Just kept, despite staying up late or whatever, waking up really early, thinking about football. And it's just weird. And like, because I was so tired from recording the grief cast in the game. The next morning I went back to bed for a bit and I was just mm. dozing off. And I'm not kidding. I visualised their third goal. I think it might be been their fourth goal, which everyone were, where just lifted it over Casilla. see it. it. might have been their winner, actually. Yeah, the, the last one. Don't even remember. And it jolted me awake. That's how much it's mentally scarred me. It's been odd like a... It's
3: oddly like a bereavement in that it gets a little bit better every day. <laughs> the first day you wake up and you think, oh, well, oh no, the bad thing happened and it hits you. And then the next day it's, it happens again, but a bit a bit less dramatically.
1: I do still have the recording of it there if I want to watch it. It's kind of like a like a memory box or something. I'm going to go well, through.
2: Well, do you know what? It's funny that uh, I realised having got to Ellen Road on Wednesday that I'd not set up Sky to record. And, you know, you can do it from your phone. But phone network, terrible inside Ellen Road. And I was going to I was gonna either set it up on my phone or I was going to text my wife and say, could you hit the record button? Because she was watching it as well. And I just never got reception, never got reception in that entire game until we came out of the ground and arranged to meet at full time. And it's probably a blessing in disguise because that would have been what? 3% of my Skybox wasted. Have you watched any other football? Uh, No, I caught the, I think, sixth goal of the FA Cup on Saturday, but I, I just didn't feel
1: like watching it. Yeah, I kind of had it on. But it was just didn't connect with me, and I tried to watch. Uh, I found a stream of uh, Yosuke Idiguchi playing <laughs> for uh, growth the Firth that against Depression Saint Oh, he's
3: lost his he's lost his head.
1: <laughs> he wasn't really doing anything, so I kind of looked at that for a while. and was just like, I mean, unless he starts getting on the ball and doing stuff, I'm out of this. So the FA Cup final oddly cheered me up because I did
3: watch it and I thought well this is all we've got to look forward to getting tanked because Watford are a really good team aren't they they're like they're about as strong as it gets outside of the top moneyed clubs and they just got absolutely ruined and that's what would probably happen to us so it's better that we stay in this league and play um Charlton
2: yeah and you know what the whole Bielsa thing that I touched on before about I think keeping Bielsa is more important than going up we obviously need to go up next season there's no mm. two ways about that Uh, But it does look like Bielsa's staying, and that's great and all that. And I've tried to comfort myself with the idea that going up in our centenary season as effing champions is preferable than getting tanked 6-0 by the Harlem Globetrotters at Eastland.
3: At least it's now an agreed starting point, like you say, for next year as well. This year it was like, well, if we get the playoffs, that's pretty good. After what's happened this year, there's no doubt that next year with Bielsa in charge, we have to go into it as like, we're winning this. Mm. Anything else isn't acceptable. We'll probably be favourites as well.
1: Yeah. Which is uh, uncomfortable because uh, part of the joy of this season was
2: that surprise. No, do you know what? I think, I think we need to embrace this because it's the thing that costs, you know, when I said, and I, I don't think I expressed it properly, but the idea that the only thing we've got to fear is fear itself because we're scared of how it feels to lose. And actually we just need to embrace the idea of winning and reject. Yeah. We know it hurts to yeah. lose, but we've done it enough times, but we need, we need to just say, right, enough's enough. We're prepared
1: to all pull together now and do this and just back it to the final whistle. And, Eighty nine ninety because we'd spent millions that summer in, in March before getting Strachan and Fairclough. We were absolute clear favourites. Started really slowly, but the pressure was on us to get promoted. And what I was trying to say on the the griefcast was something about oh well, Sheffield United came close and missed it, and whoever else came close and missed it. I was wrong. The point I was trying to make was more about Wolves actually because Wolves finished fourteenth or fifteenth. No, we would have finished (laughs) 15th. They were well down the table, well off the pace the season before they romped the league. And they, all that was, was uh, setting the team up in that season, adding a few and then absolutely romping it. And Sheffield United, that's kind of their story is close to that. It wasn't a near miss last season. They were miles off the pace, not going to get relegated, but not really ever like top two contention. And then getting them out of the top two was almost, well... Now they were third for most of it, but they were up there in contention from very early on, and ultimately won it. So it's kind of that that second season story: same manager, same core group of players, and just don't be don't be as frightened as we looked after uh, Kiko let that goal in.
2: No, I agree with that, and there is a certain amount of online debate about sacking off Calvin and taking. It's like no, we need to keep this lot together, Kiko as well for all his his madness. And build on it because we always chuck the baby out with the bathwater.
3: We do. People say, no, we need we need at least seven or eight new players next year. No, that's that's
2: the mistake we always make.
3: Yeah, exactly. Adam Forshaw, not in a great season, but he's fine. Just leave him. Mm. Leave him where he is. Likewise, Liam Cooper obviously has made some mistakes towards the end, but he's fine. If we keep him as backup, I'm not I'm not opposed to signing better players than Liam Cooper and putting them in the team ahead of him, but just keep him.
2: Yeah, because he has, for the vast, vast majority, been fine. We'll we'll kind of have a look at uh, what we think we need in a bit. Let's just return, if we can, to this Derby game and kind of box it off, final game of the season and all that. Is there anything more we need to say about that as a game? Anybody come out of it with any credit? Anybody come out of it in in particular disgrace? I mean, we can think of a few. We mentioned Kiko there, Cooper and the indecision between them. Whose fault was that? Kiko.
3: Kiko, he's he's the one with the view of the ball. He Mm. can see everything that's happening. And unless, it, of course, he is screaming at Cooper to get out of his way and Cooper just ignores it, in which case it's Cooper's fault.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think the fact that it happened at Ipswich when it was Kiko and Ailing. the common denominator in these things is Kassia. And Ailing after this one, went mental at the bench, um, screaming at them, pointing at the keeper. And yeah, we said last time that if he's going to be a sweeper keeper, he needs to act like one. He can't just delegate responsibility once the ball starts coming towards him. Well, that is hopefully something that can get sorted out, come back pre-season, and you just sit and said, right, these balls are going to land that every single team is going to put on the edge of our penalty area because you acted like a fucking clown at the end of last season. How do we sort them out? And decisions then need to be made. What about Berardi then in the sending off? Do we have to
2: point fingers at him? I suppose
3: we do. I mean, it's partly the referee to blame for not giving the two free kicks that he should have had prior to his challenge. But equally, what are you thinking? you're thinking. You're on a yellow card doing that. It's not one where it's not an accidental one either, way. you've been a bit unlucky to get a yellow because he, he's never going to get the ball in that situation and he's lost his head.
2: Mm. you got a card happy referee and a guy who has. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's the almost the, the conflict between getting right up for the biggest game of the season and then being too
1: hyped. And what was interesting, so I have seen this since, is how calm he was and in control up until that point, because it was pointed out by somebody on Twitter that the first goal, Dallas slides towards the Derby fans and is leading the celebration towards them. And Berardi appears and he gets around there and he turns him round physically, as Berardi often does, and pushes him away from the Derby fans and says, right, you're not celebrating in front of them, celebrating in front of our fans. So he's showing maturity, he's showing leadership. And I noticed, I didn't notice him doing that during the game, I noticed that while our celebrations were still going on, he was the first one back in our half, got back in position, was like, right, game restarts, we're 2 nil up on aggregate, I'm ready to restart the match. He was really being as disciplined as you, as you can be for Berardi, because we talked as well about the lack of leadership in that match, how it fell to Stuart Dallas to really step up and perform, because Pablo Hernandez kind of disappeared. Berardi was showing it as well, but the thing that we know about Berardi is that if you do poke him with enough sticks, he will... Snap and it's, it. snap them and snap you. And <laughs> the Man City thing is interesting. So I was talking to somebody about the, the difference between Guardiola and, and Bielsa and how come if Bielsa is such a good coach, like he can't have those six nil victories where they just dominate. And it's kind of the world he, he always seems to work in is humans with failings. He manages in division two. So he gets Barardi He doesn't get Vincent company he's not got a player there who it will be 91st minute of a of a vital championship decider He's going to just boot the ball in from 30 yards and win the win the game. He's got Berardi who's more likely to go nuts just because of the level of football he is and the kind of person he is. Manchester City you're talking about billions and billions of pounds being invested in turning them all into the robots that Bielsa once said that if football was played by robots he'd win. Manchester City probably, when Bielsa said in the run-up to the game, he looks at how they play and he can't reverse engineer it. He can't work out what Guardiola is doing to make them play that way and how he's got them into such a machine where it's just like, oh, FA Cup final, Watford 6-0 and this game 6-0 and they just win constantly. We've got this, these kind of little ticking time bombs where it's either going to be Pablo might not perform on the day, Berardi might go crazy on the day. Cooper makes that mistake that he does once or twice a season. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Casilla might not catch the ball on the edge of his box. Those kind of things are built in to a much greater degree than if you're at the um, the top level. And I think that's kind of why I was quite not relaxed about it with Berardi, but it's kind of, he's been around for long enough now where you can't really argue against who he is as a human. And that's what it comes down to. If you want him not to do that, you have to change his entire life from the day he was born. Mm. If you want a player who doesn't do that, you have to go and spend a lot of money to replace him.
3: I think that's a bit of a stretch there's lots of players who don't get sent off (laughs) but are they any good? but is Berardi good enough to justify his red cards I suppose
1: as was up until that point he was playing very well very disciplined and was Mm -hmm. one of the few people on the team showing any kind of leadership and he'd been good in the game before there was not a whisper of trouble it was one of his best performances ever and that's kind of the so that's perhaps why Pontus was left out of the teams because we went, we had peak Berardi, the, the best, the wonderful, the player where you think, actually, do we ever need Pontus Janssen to play again? And then within an, an hour or two of football, it's like, well, can Berardi ever play for us again? So we always have the, those swings. I agree with
2: what you're saying there as well. It's just about levels, isn't it? And he's unfortunately got that in his character because the best would not go mental under those circumstances when everything's at stake. But then, you know, you look at someone like Zidane as well, and, I, and obviously I'm not drawing parallels between Zidane and Berardi. However, he was at the very top of his game and he did the headbutt in the World Cup final, so... Uh,
1: yeah, maybe you, you, you're you right, Michael. Too. You can get a player who isn't going to snap like that, but you we are dealing in a, a division where you are still dealing with humans. And I think that's kind of something that came out of it when you saw the effect on Calvin Phillips. And you saw the way Berardi went off, basically breaking his hand off the side of a tunnel. There's not that robotic unreality that exists in the, the very top of the game.
2: Mm, I mean, you look at Pablo as well. Do you think he's enough over those two games?
3: I don't know if we've asked too much of him across the season, particularly with the Saiz departure. It was basically over to you to do everything. Earlier in the season, he was, he was playing as a winger and he was doing really well out there. And then he moved to the middle and did really well in there. But yeah, as the games have gone on, he's not been able to affect every game in the same way. And, and there's not been an obvious like-for-like replacement for him either. So it means when people have come on, it's all reshuffled. And I think there's just been, a, we've asked a little bit too much of him. And I think going into next season, he's, as we can tell by his face, in his 60s, and we need someone else there to share the load a bit.
2: I mean, I guess it's all kind of those, the opposite of marginal gains. It's marginal losses in it when you look at like Bamford and stuff as well. We'll look at in a bit where we thought the whole thing uh, fell apart. Any particular moment that haunts you from Wednesday then?
1: Everything after um, half past eight, really. The whole thing, just uh, trying to separate it into individual moments. It was just like a, yeah, like a torrent of things happening at every angle. Even the, like trying to picture after the, the final whistle, when Bielsa was waiting for Frank Lampard to stop acting like a child and come and shake his hand. There was so much kicking off at that moment. We Look which players are crying, which whether Derby players, whether Richard Keogh's giving it large to the South Stand or the North Stand. And then yeah, the game itself, like the, the confusion between Dallas putting us level again on aggregate that quick, that it just felt like dominoes falling all the time, that like Barardi being sent off and then us conceding the goal and then attacking and not getting anywhere. It just felt like uh um Billy Bremner said the nineteen sixty five FA Cup final when we lost to Liverpool in extra time. He said extra time was like a nightmare. he was like, he was dreaming that he was being chased when he was out on the pitch, but they never caught him and he never got away from them. And it kind of feels like that. It was just like an, an hour of just kind of relentless, nightmarish chasing and, uh, and trying to break it down into uh, what was, what is the moment that, that will haunt me the most? Just like it was an hour, long, an hour long moment, weirdly, weirdly affecting
3: I think I felt okay at half time. I was obviously annoyed we'd conceded, but I also thought we'd we'll be alright here. We've got half time to so just calm down and then obviously they went out. I don't know what minute they scored in. It was More 40 or
1: less, seconds.
3: Yeah, it was instantly. <laughs> yeah. They they scored and then it was that moment there was that crashing realization that all oh, this is happening,
2: right? <laughs> I said to my dad at half time I said the one the one thing although it's going to lift them at half time, the one benefit we can take out of this is it's taken the wind out of their sails a bit. Because they wouldn't have wanted half time
1: to come, and obviously it did. I remember now because <laughs> we didn't talk about this on the griefcast, even though I mentioned it in the car. It's maybe worth talking about it now. The moment when it did go wrong, because I, as we've mentioned a couple of times, I've been watching games on the the gantry and before the match, I met David, who was a producer from uh, Talk Sports. He was he was there, and he uh, let me know because he he knew my feelings about him that the moose was going to be in the building or at least in in the West Ham, but he was delayed. Uh, traffic had kept him away from Elland Road up until... What, the (laughs) (laughs) drive-through? Yes. So the game kicked off and he wasn't there. And we went a goal up and he wasn't there. And then uh, when the goal, we conceded our first, I I looked across and he's he's there. So we were doing fine until the moose arrived on the gantry at Elland Road. And then from that moment on, everything fell apart. And I noticed, and the reason that came to my mind is because I watched him do one of his horrible, cringeworthy drive-by selfies with Norman Hunter, who was walking back after halftime. We'd already conceded the second goal at that point, and he's trying to get back to where I am and where his, his, uh, his mates are. Don Waters sits up there. He used to the Yorkshire Evening Post correspondent, and he always talks to him. And he had to stop while Moose basically, like Norman Hunter didn't know who the fuck this guy was, just comes out, grabs him, takes a picture of him, didn't even say thank you and sat down again. And Norman Hunter... Did he kick him? <laughs> he just didn't know who he was. Just thought he was some crazed idiot. Just wants a photo with him and then gets back to walk. And as he walked past uh, me and Don what was I just heard Norman Hunter going, we're in trouble now. On oh, this week's Extra Ball podcast, we've got a question from Ryan. So we've lost another playoff campaign, which I think is like the fourth since 2006. We don't seem very good at these. So can you pick your worst 11 since 2006 that have played in a playoff campaign for Leeds, generally either just shit or how the fuck did you get in there?
2: We'll be tackling that and loads of other playoff heartbreak, general heartbreak, misery, post-mortems and a board game as well. If you want to support us and get behind this podcast, please subscribe to The Extra Ball because we are trying to get to a position where we can do loads more podcasting and this is the way to make it happen. Two ninety nine a month and your first month's free. Check it out, squareball.net forward slash The Extra Ball. <laughs> So where did we fall short then, do you think? Dan James. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think January, on reflection, is when we started to drop points on a regular basis. It had all been going pretty well until then, and injuries really had been covered to that point, and then it all just got a little bit much for us, I think, towards the end of the season. We became maybe a little bit too predictable. We didn't have the personnel there to make any changes to give us a new spark.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Is that a symptom, though, of having too small a squad?
3: I think the squad would have been probably adequately sized had it stayed fit. Like you, I saw some stats about Wolves and across their entire squad, they'd missed they'd something like 17 games, was it? Or 19 through injury? They've had,
1: no. Yeah, they've had some. They've had a, a really small squad in the Premier League. They've only used about 18, 19 players or something. And there was some crazy stat where they've had like 98% fitness throughout the, the season. And I would almost say like one of our biggest things this uh, season is Rob Price, who is obviously very good at stitching body parts together from... Uh, from our, I'm wondering what we're getting out of our departing loanies, whether they have to leave a deposit with him in the, the muscle bank. But get down to Wolves and go and chat to their medical staff and go and say, how the fuck have you done that? Because that would have made a vital difference to our season if we'd had 98% fitness.
3: Because we signed a left back who's been injured for more than half the season. We signed a striker who's been injured for half the season. In between that, we've had key injuries to... People like Jansen and Andes missed some games. It's not been coverable, really.
1: If you think right when we were going to drop, I'm waiting for somebody to pick up on this, right when we're going to drop Bailey Peacock-Farrell, what happens to our highly rated reserve goalkeeper that we've presumably spent a lot of wages and long feet sign from Chelsea breaks his leg? What do we put that down to? I mean, that was a freak accident. There's nothing you can do about it, but it's kind of the way the season has has gone where there wasn't. I think it was the Douglas injury finally sold it that we were going to go through the season without a fully fit squad available at any point for any game. Which is ludicrous and most of the time it was four or five players being mm. missing.
3: And and it's often in the same position so you'd you get Ailing he'd be out injured but then Berardi was also out injured and then Dallas was also out injured so it meant that we had Jamie Shackleton an 18 year old number 10 playing it right back and crazy stuff like that happening. Mm. I mean Dallas is one of those players he's missed a lot of the season as well and while he's not probably in anyone's first 11, he is probably in lots of positions in second 11s because you can, as we saw, he can do an alright job at fullback or on either wing, and we've not even had players like that available to fill gaps when the first choice is, is unavailable.
2: Yeah, and you're right as well, and when you take that so you're missing your first choice right back so you're putting in Dallas, if your left back's also missing suddenly you're missing your two main fullbacks,
1: obviously attacking yeah. players and it just dilutes everything. It's just little bits of dilution in loads of different places. So the lesson from this is that what Bielsa said at the very start of the season where he said, I'm new in the championship. This is what I think will work. We'll find out if I'm right. Um, The lesson I would take from it is we need a few more players in the squad. I worry that the lesson Bielsa will take of it is like, well, we're not going to have a freakish season like that again. I'll just roll with the same because it can't happen twice. I don't necessarily agree entirely with that, but I know where you're coming from. I'm thinking
2: someone like Izzy Brown, for example, who should have maybe had a greater impact than he did, but it seems like he was never going to figure because he he wasn't there at the start of the season getting fit. He's coming to it so late. He's never going to get as fit as he needs to be and therefore lacks any kind of cohesion with the squad. Should have been an important player, but in an important position as well. We've got a
1: bit more knowledge coming into this summer as well because Bielsa watched every single game from last season. But I think he he started saying during the season as well that the conclusions that he can draw from a video tell him so much. But then click is a perfect example where after watching your on video, he put him in the maybes. And then when he gets here, he ends up playing him in every single game. So he's seen them now. He's seen them close up. He knows them, their personalities as well as their how they look on the telly. So Bielsa may be in a a better position now to decide what he needs for next season than he was last summer when he's going off of, uh, I mean, I, know, I don't know what he learned from watching the Myanmar games, but he, he watched them as well, apparently. But so there's, there's more knowledge and he'll have more knowledge as well of uh, the under 23s and what's available from them. Cause I, I don't know what, at what point he kind of learned about Jamie Shackleton and what point he really got a close look at leaf davis or robbie gotts and i noticed things changed so that at uh, christmas we were using apple Halme as the the first reserve center back and then on the bench for the, the derby match was Pascal Stroik. so there's kind of been a, a bit of a change in pecking order there so he's he's learned a lot and hopefully he will have learned that yeah a few more players won't hurt and also exactly where we need those position strengthening, and certainly having lost Saez is a big was a big gap there because Brown's gone back as well. So the two players well, we're getting we him had. back
2: in summer probably. <laughs> Nobody wants him. <laughs>
1: You've got to come back to West
2: Yorkshire despite what your wife may <laughs> think. Uh, what do you think then of the transfers? Did we succeed or fail in the transfer market? When you think our cash purchases, I mean, I know Casilla was free, but uh, in terms of big purchases, anyway, Casilla, Bamford and Douglas. There seems to have been a shift in narrative. Douglas looked great at the start when he was fit, but that he's maybe not been up to it. And then Bamford, and then Casilla as well. What do we make of those three? Not looking like great value for money based on the um. I, the playoff semi. But I, no, I know what you mean, but, but Bamford's not a bad striker. As we said on the grief cast, he's just had injuries, hasn't he?
3: It's hard at the moment to think beyond him just getting shoved away by Richard Keogh in that in that game, and actually being so bad that we brought on Izzy Brown for him, who we've clearly... Tried desperately hard to not use all season, but he was like, "Fucking hell, <laughs> got to do something." Um, but yeah, like you say, it, El, everything suggests he's not bad, but he has been in the last. He's few gonna games if he stays us.
2: fit, he's gonna get goals at this level, though, isn't he? As he proved, yeah. it's just that level of consistency. And do you think the two injuries? I know we said it on the Griefcast, have played a, a big part
1: in his standards this season, his ability. I don't know. I'd assume so because I can't think of any other reason why he would go into a playoff semifinal and play that badly? Like the the, the logical kind of explanation is it? like, he surely didn't go and was like, oh, I don't really fancy this. And he didn't look at Richard Keogh and just think, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing here. I think there's something more at play because we've talked about Rob Price bringing all the players back really quickly, but have we brought them all back before they're really fit because we haven't had the, the other options? And I kind of think that with, uh, that may be what has scuppered, Bamford there was the game at Bristol City when he injured his, he banged his knee off the post scoring and uh limped around for an hour because Bielsa refused to take him off. And I think there has been a thing of just if you're out there you play. Um and we've not had the the option because he was going to play if Bamford didn't play in that game. Roof would have played if he if he hadn't got injured. But I I don't feel wedded to the idea of Bamford so much that I don't think I I wouldn't like us to go and spend a lot of money on a new striker. Because I think, as we were just saying, after the the derby match, there was a lot of kind of temptation to rip up the entire team and start again. But what we need is, looking at the form over the seasons. we need a striker who will finish. I've been searching for it and I finally found the expected goals data over the whole season. Before you get into it, explain yeah. again for the benefit of anybody who's new to this. What expected goals is, it's a measure of the quality of chances. Yeah, so we've seen a lot of stuff about how Leeds will have 50 shots in a game and score one. And this breaks it down to were those shots from like 30 yards being taken by Berardi or were they from six yards being taken by Bamford? And if it's six yards out and Bamford's got the ball in front of an empty net, um, it's probably not 99 <laughs> is the chance that it'll go in. And so it is, it's kind of like rating each chance as to how likely it is to score. And there's a degree of how reliable each version of expected goals is. Different people have different models and do they take into account, like, is it uh, a defender has a chance in front of goal or is it a strike? So it's it's very imperfect, but I think it's a really good, it helps just add that. If you're going to talk about how many Chances you have in a game, you might as well say, well, okay, what? how good were the chances? What can we say to break it down? Yeah, the major point is the chances we created in this division were the best. Our expected goals total was 74.79. So based on the chances we created, we should have scored more goals than any other team in the division because we made that number of chances of that quality that those goals you would expect us to have scored that many. And we did not. We were only a couple behind, but then this table I saw broke it down to game by game. So, because you can measure the expected goals against, how many did the other team have against us? And it's worth pointing out over the entire season, we have the best expected goals against in the division. We were expected to concede 40 and a half, which means for all we have a go at Kassir and we complain about Cooper and is Janssen up to it, is Bradley good enough? Uh, What the fullbacks like? Should they be at the back? Should they be at the front? We were the hardest team to score against in terms of the chances we gave to other teams in the division. So we should have ended with the most goals scored, the least goals conceded, and we should have won the league by two points, according to that measure. Can we appeal to the Football League? Well, that's where it's kind of... But the only thing that breaks it down, um, the only thing preventing us from capitalising on that is that um, we were absurdly off of our expected goals compared to somebody like Norwich. Other teams, Bielsa said it over and over again, and this is just a really explicit way of putting it, that we need six chances to score, other teams need three. And the quality of the chances adding that into the equation is it's not like we're giving, we've not been giving Patrick Bamford the ball 30 yards from goal and saying, there's your chance. We've seen the way we play. We put the ball into the six yard box from with the fullbacks, putting it there again and again and again and again. And if the player in the box on the end of those had put it, the ball away as often as they should have been, as they're expected to, we would have won the league. So So what we need to do for next season is not necessarily rip up this defence that is like the goals they were expected to concede is the the lowest in the division, the best performing defence in that in that measure. It's ensuring that taking into account how many of those chances Pablo Hernandez created, we need to keep that creativity and ensure we still have that. Build on it. Yeah. And uh, Harrison's going so we need to find although his contribution people have very contrasting opinions on that. And the figures ain't great. Um So actually it should be easy to find a, a winger who contributes more chances than him and find a striker who just put them in the net. And that's pretty much, that should be the project for the, the summer. I don't want us to get too distracted by, do we need to replace the keeper? Do we need to replace our centre backs? Unless we sell one of them for pure money or because they want away, we don't really need to do any work in those areas. It's continuing the creativity and adding the finishing that's the concentration for me is not to look at this team and go this is a bad team and the defense needs ripping up it's um this is the team that should have won the league and it just needs that little bit of firepower so yeah hopefully we'll re-sign Pierre-Michel Saga and it will all be all right do we all agree that he's staying then seems to be there doesn't seem to be any
3: strong indication that he's is leaving can you imagine
2: than... can you imagine a world without him
3: i don't want to don't see, don't see any point I'll deal with that when it happens <laughs> but until then I'm going to be I've had an unhappy enough uh, week as it is and I'd rather not think about that
2: well, what do you reckon we need then winger maybe uh, number 10 centre back striker that sounds like loads of players
3: already yeah another striker another centre back as a minimum providing we don't sell anyone because there seems to be people linking Jansen with a move away and how true it is I've no idea but at least one centre back at least one striker at least one winger
2: Because we've lost like Izzy Brown plus Saiz, as we mentioned, Harrison's gone back. You know that Man City are apparently valuing him at 20 million. Mm, Good luck. Not sure what 20 million of what?
1: That just makes me worry about how hard it's going to be to get players. If that's what you get for 20 million, if Bamford's what you get for 7 million. It's expensive, isn't it? uh, Yeah. It's It's the other reason not to sell any of our players
3: because we probably can't afford new ones. And we know these ones are pretty good in the main.
2: (laughs) Or well, maybe this is where the likes of Malik Wilkes maybe steps up then if he can uh, reproduce. Because he to me, looked like from his highlights
1: reel, really, anyway, like Jack Harrison, but with more end product. We mentioned as well with the loanies that are going away, there's four big gaps. So we are going to see new faces and quite a, a lot of them, even if we just get four loan players again. So there is going to be work there. Let's not just, get any from uh, Chelsea, eh? It's not yeah, work, does it? I don't think that's really, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Right, who have we seen then? Because you, Moscow, you saw uh, Paul Butler, Costa Coffee, Knotsford, family visit, marshmallows.
1: Yeah, we try hot not, chocolate, leering women. We try not to mention uh, Costa as often now anymore as Lane's Espresso. It's uh, a, yeah. f- a much better place to get a coffee in Leeds city centre. Authentic, not just mass market stuff, is it? Exactly. And if you, uh, it was. I was reminded that it was uh, heavily frequented by Robbie Rogers back in the day, who used to take um, other Leeds players in there, who um, who regarded it as. As somewhat of a daft place. Not all of them really took to it. <laughs> Why not? Uh, I'm interested. Just a bit
3: footballers like knowing what they're getting, don't they?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think
3: it, it it's kind of Yates' wine
2: lodge mentality, in it? It's too cheap in here.
3: <laughs> Charge me £48 pounds for, a, for a coffee.
2: Yeah, who have we seen Because you bumped into Paul Butler in Knutsford, uh, Cheshire, Costa, which prompted us to ask you where you've seen people. Who have you seen this time?
1: We have got a very poignant one. From uh, young underscore peacock on uh, Twitter, who walked into a service station this week uh, wearing my Leeds jackets, and he said, I've just been asked if I'm feeling okay by none other than Luke Ayling. Great guy, seemed very deflated and like he really cared. I think of all the, the terrible things that came out of the, the derby match, the idea that Luke Ayling is actually going up to people who were wearing united clothing just in service stations and just like seeing if they're all right. And actually, because he could skulk about, he could kind of drop his hair down and put the fringe across his face and just get out of Shades. there. Hoping nobody recognises him. But to actually front up and just go like, yeah, I hope you're all right after that is, uh, is good. It's a good risk as
3: well, because there was a lot of anger around after that game. <laughs> A similar sighting of um, in, a, in a services or, or a garage of a, another top quality defender. I don't know if you remember him. In 2017, Autumn spotted Scott Wotton in a BKP garage in Kingston near Milton Keynes after filling up and buying a sandwich for lunch. I wanted to
2: say hi, and then I remembered Watford in the cup and thought better of it. Yeah, thanks to Richard Lang for that. Oh, so that's a sad one, isn't it? When your life sort of quietly just dances in front of your eyes. <laughs>
3: I suppose the pick the image of him with his head in his hands before the ball was even in the net is a, is one that will stay
1: with us. That is one where you, I hope Scott Warden didn't try to approach anybody to apologize for that.
2: <laughs> it's awful, isn't it? Knowing that these people have earned more money in there than you'll ever see in your life. And they did that, Scar us in that way. Here's one for you. Then Tom Carndorff uh, at Tom C underscore 22 sat in the same weather spoons. So it's a fairly recent one as we, well. Which former Leeds player do you reckon it was currently sat in the same weather spoons as former Leeds? Goalkeeper?
1: Mark Beany, No. Paul Robinson? In spoons? Why not, eh? See, that's why he would have been confused by Lane's espresso, you see. Give him a spoon every day. You can get coffee there. Italian coffee, just like you get in Italy, <laughs> I'm sure. It, which does bring us, has been a, a Robinson's teammates, not necessarily cited in person, but on the television and in the press. Lee Bowyer? winning playoff semifinal against Malik Wilkes's is Doncaster. And then by all accounts reacting maturely went into the the Doncaster dressing room afterwards and didn't didn't throw a chair at anybody, didn't demand a cheeseburger or anything of that ilk, but told them all that they'd had a great season and should be proud of their efforts. They lost on penalties to Charlton and told them that they should be uh, uh, very proud of them and wish them all luck for next season. That's good. It's good to be magnanimous in victory, isn't it, when you've won in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I try to picture uh, Frank Lampard going into Leeds United's dressing room after his performance on the pitch at the end of that game and trying to do something similar. I can only imagine, yeah, in fact, thinking about it, if he crossed paths with Berardi at any point after that game, I would uh, I would encourage Berardi to have done whatever he felt was right. And take that life ban like a man. <laughs> <laughs> well, also worth saying
2: as well, Jonathan Woodgate, talking to Lee Bowyer, he's now in the running to replace Tony Pulis as the Middlesbrough boss.
3: Which is strange because when people talk about that era, Bowyer was referred to as like the bright one of the two. People used to say Woodgate was genuinely properly thick, but maybe he's recovered from that early setback in life and has, uh, has since become a cultured man. He's been to Spain, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Learned a bit of the language. Maybe but, he's maybe he's improved himself.
1: Maybe it's a question of how much intelligence you need to follow Tony Pulis. He knows where the mixer is. He's learned that in the past year. Is maybe Pulis that's all you need. being linked to replace Bielsa, do you think? The circle of life. <laughs> Woodgate takes over from Pulis. Pulis takes over from Bielsa.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: We have further developments, unbelievably, with the blasphemy baton, a.k.a. the God Rod. This is a thing, if you're a new listener, and apologies for the convoluted explanation, but started in January when we faced Stoke, uh, we tested on the podcast, we said, if God exists, then Nathan Jones, highly religious gentleman, who had uh, put a lot of his success in the past with Luton, Down to the Lord. All of it. All of it. Uh, If he vanquishes Marcelo Bielsa, it proves the existence of God uh, and proved that Stoke was God's chosen team. That happened. And then every team that beat the previous one from that point inherited the blasphemy Baton. It finished the season with Nottingham Forest after they beat Bolton after a long uh, convoluted journey, some might say around the around the championship and we said well, what would happen in pre-season we went to uh, the pope it's as is always the case with religious matters so we asked adam pope is it going to go in pre-season and non-competitive competitive fixtures and the pope has decreed what did he decree
3: well he, he said it was um, pre-season friendlies do not count as they are godless but i believe moscow you're uh, splitting from the, the the traditional church and you're taking the god rod on a, on a tour of europe
1: Adam Pope is bang wrong, and I have ninety-nine theses that I will nail to the door of BBC Leeds in the morning, proving he is wrong, and uh, and then we'll carry on because uh, we found out Nottingham Forest are going to Greece in pre-season, where they're going to play Olympiakos and Atromitos. Possibly related to the fact that their uh, their chairman, who uh, I'm not sure if he still faces the match-fixing charges in Greece, he uh, does, but he also and drug trafficking charges. He also owns Olympiakos, I think, doesn't he? So. So that's why they're going out there. But given that... Uh, Sean
3: Harvey did well to let him into the league though, you have to say, based on that.
1: It was pointed out to me, uh, or I read somewhere, that Derby in the playoff final with uh, having got through financial fair play by selling their stadium to themselves, uh, Bolton are actually within the F- uh, FFP regulations and are bankrupt. Good rules. Good rules, Sean. Anyway, Forrester off to, to Greece and Greece um, has a minimum 12 ancient gods maximum I'm not clear because the, the Wikipedia wasn't entirely clear on it. I did start looking at various children's websites, educational ones, uh like GCSE ones that explain Greek gods. So we have got a we've got pictures of them all here. So there's Poseidon, there's Ares, there's Athena, the god of sexy posters. Yep. Um Zeus, Aphrodite, Apollo, loads of them. So Hermes, the god of delivering parcels. So if uh if Forrest lose to so that that was very good though. Thank you. <laughs> threw me off. By how funny that was. Um, so if Forest lose to one of these teams, the God Rod won't just be being disputed between football teams anymore. A minimum of twelve ancient Greek gods will be squabbling over it as well, and we can't not cover that no matter what. The Pope of Rome
3: <laughs> will we cover it if, as is also rumored, they play Peterborough in a friendly before they go there, and Peterborough take it.
1: Do we know where Peterborough are going on pre-season?
3: Not sure, but do we? Want, are we comfortable with Darren Ferguson having it in his possession at any point? Can you believe Darren Ferguson's still Peterborough manager? He's only third stint. It feels like they've not moved on since we were playing them in League One. They just have Darren Ferguson, then someone else, then Darren Ferguson, then someone else,
2: do you know, it's then like, Darren Ferguson. You know when you were sort of in your late teens or whatever, early 20s maybe, and you had one of those relationships where you just could not go on with that person. You couldn't be with them. But you can't be without them. And you kept breaking up but getting back together and breaking up and getting back together, but you never could finally say goodbye. Well, I mean, less said about Darren Ferguson's relationships,
3: probably the better given his um, guilty plea. Look it up on Google. I don't wanna I don't wanna have League Dan to uh, many a legal edit, but he did plead guilty to uh, assaulting his wife, I believe. And also if it ends up in League One, um, on that same uh, that same line, Joey Barton could get hold of it as well. So it's to be hoped that Forrest either win this game or just go to Greece
2: first. Well, gents, we need to pick heroes and villains from this last week. Uh, we can't, <laughs> we're we not going to struggle for villains, I, I dare say. Uh, this is a um, a measure of people who have either enriched or diminished our lives. And first we do the Ken Bates Villainy Awards, which is named after Ken Bates because he was a villain to us for many a year. He gets a nomination does Ken Bates, as is the custom in this award, for something normally trivial and made up because we are running out of reasons. What, what reasons do we have now? For being in charge of Chelsea
3: when... Jodie Morris and John Terry were there in the youth system. I imagine he scouted them personally. Thought them the most objectionable characters he could find. Uh, I don't think he was there with Frank Lampard as
1: well, was he? It was the it was the
3: stolen Russian money that paid for him.
1: The association is still there though, and I think it, it does lead us on to our first contemporary nominees, which are Jodie Morris and Frank Lampard. They're obviously nominated for their behaviour on Wednesday and since and before. Everything they've ever done in their lives, really, but particularly focused upon the last week. So Jodie Morris and Frank Lampard. Anyone else? Frank Lampard as an individual, rather than as a team. I think so. I think he's worthy of the
3: of the individual um, nomination for his dancing around the changing room like he was on a shit stag do. with His, his mates all cheering and him, at the, him desperate to be in the centre of it. But they're only they're only happy to go along with it because he's like he's been buying the he's the one with the money. So they're like, oh, we'll
1: we'll kind of stick with him for the evening. He definitely didn't get to him that song, even he knew all the oh, words. Oh no, oh no, he didn't. He's not giving it a second thought. Well, if we're nominating him individually, uh, Jody Morris individually as well, <laughs> for <laughs> him an, uh, for his horrible little dwarfish existence, for stinking leads out, for leaving leads under controversial, should we say, circumstances? We've mentioned it many times on here, but the uh, the non disclosure agreement he has to he had to sign, meaning he cannot actually talk about anything that happened to him at Leeds United. It'll happen to any of the people who happened to cross paths with him. Mm, that's so, interesting. So Jody Morris as well. Can I nominate Richard Keogh? Just, he's caused us
2: a bit of misery, hasn't he? Richard Keogh, he was uh, taunting the the South Stand at full time. And oh, the wait, North Stand. Uh, and the North Stand, both ends. That's both sides of the compass, isn't it, that?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He was bullying Patrick
1: Bamford as well, which was not a difficult job on the night, but... In that case, uh, if it's about taunting particular stands... Uh, Frank Lampard, tries <laughs> to nominate him, uh-huh. talking the East stand, yeah. And just the, the general display of him on the pitch, I think I think because there's been all this stuff about the the class in the game and Bielsa, He's because he lost that game, it's fallen into that narrative of being the dirty foreign spying cheat. Bielsa, as we discussed on the grief, stood on the edge of his technical area, waiting for Frank Lampard to come and shake his hand and eventually gave up. Just he waited that long for Frank Lampard to stop putting on this little childish performance. And eventually he just went back into the dressing rooms. And Lampard has said, I probably, I probably should have shook his hand, but I was just carried away. Was
2: it Lampard at the start of the season who Bielsa forgot to shake his hand? Was it Lampard? No,
1: it was, uh, Mr. Mr. Stoke, as was at the time, who gave up to Nathan Jones. What was he called? Yeah, Gary Rowe. Ah. it was the end of the very first match. He just turned and walked down the tunnel. Can we just ignore that and just say it was Frank Lampard? Yeah, because, well, it was absolutely fine with it because he said, yeah, Marcelo didn't know that that was the the custom and he shook hands with me afterwards and that's absolutely fine. Not even a, a question. In fact, in fact so, I fact,
2: was- So we've definitely established, sorry, there, based on the evidence that Frank Lampard knew it was the custom but thought it beneath him to shake
1: hands with Marcelo Bielsa. He was too busy dancing around the pitch mm. like a- I think your description of him as a money-dropping stag do, uh, stag is apt. Who else?
3: John Terry. In in combination with Jodie Morris for being uh, putting banter videos on the internet. We got got a spy. Well, he was um, he was doing the impression of uh, Chris Wilder. <laughs> Chris Wilder, obviously, wasn't he when he when he did it? But saying we got another spy in the camp. Doing the, the binoculars
1: thing. thing. How would we feel if, uh, for example, Carlos Corberan was knocking about with Jodie Morris in the lead up to the semi-final last week? Should John Terry and Jodie Morris be sort of hanging out together against this big match? I wouldn't have thought so. They could be mates. No, they don't, they don't care. Because scum though, hangs out together. Shit yeah. hangs around with shits. So they can be, they can be friends. <laughs> they should bear in mind, I mean, Jodie Morris needs to look at what uh, John Terry does to his friends and to their wives. But they can all hang out together if they like. But just in the week leading up to a game like that, you'd maybe just go like, you know, because of how this might look. And because, you know, we we do need, we're going to be opponents on the day. Let's just have a week where we don't fucking turn it into a rugby do. Like, yeah, we've got some dark fruits on the go. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> Who else do you want to nominate? Have we mentioned uh, Frank Lampard and Jody Morris? I think so. Are they covered in this? Because I want to make sure they're not forgotten. And if we've mentioned Frank Lampard and Jodie Morris, have we mentioned Jodie Morris and Frank Lampard? <laughs> yes, I think so. Have we got Frank Morris and Jodie Lampard? Yep, yeah, them as well. Okay. Jodie Lampard and Frank Morris. All of them. Okay. Just want to make sure this is all covered. What are their fucking middle names? <laughs> I want to get this on air, uh, uh, make it official. Going to look this up. Frank, it's got to be short for Francis, hasn't it? It's Francis Lampard. What's the guy in status quo called? Francis Rossi. Yeah, nominate him as well. <laughs> Frank. No, he's he's just a Frank. So we'll uh, we'll withdraw that. Uh, Frank James Lampard OBE. I think that needs uh, addressing as well. How the fuck does a scumbag like that end up with an OBE? And that's uh, the Jimmy Savile. Jody Stephen Morris, the knight of the realm. Apparently, no, he's not. Yeah, they've got quite boring middle names, so let's nominate them for that as well, for boring middle names. Jody Morris can be nominated for being born on the 22nd of December, so ruining his parents' Christmas.
2: <laughs> what about Kiko Kasiya for ruining my May? <laughs> it was your birthday, practically, as well, Michael, wasn't it, the day after? So-
1: it,
3: yes, it was. it had been the day before, actually, oh, sorry, my yeah. birthday. so I'd, I'd,
2: um, Kiko for ruining your birthday? Yeah,
3: happy to go along with that. Um, to pick up a grievance from earlier in the season as well, I can't remember the guy's name. It was he, the Norwich arsehole, wasn't it? Such a Insignificant little clown. But the guy who was like, "I can't believe Leeds United have played that white noise, that Sonic attack, oh, was just in, as we were about to score a goal."
1: And Norwich City reporter that I was talking to, Michael yes, before, uh, Michael yeah. Bailey. That's yeah. yeah.
3: But yeah, if if he'd been present at the playoff semi-final, he'd realised the game was blighted by constant <laughs> fucking howling noise from the from the uh, the PA system, even as we were a goal down and about to drop out of the playoffs it continues to just fire bursts of noise out
1: that really did add something to the whole kind of audio visual <laughs> assault <laughs> um I, yeah thinking back to it now i know how to compare that game it was like being forced to watch an atari teenage riot concert if ever, anybody remembers <laughs> them um no against against your will i like them uh but if you didn't like them i imagine that's that's what it would have been like <laughs> With uh, yes, yeah, some Germans uh, <laughs> backlit by strobes, yelling "Destroy two thousand years of culture!" while well, like white noise and somebody's like it's a
2: real kind of finger on the on the pulse there, isn't it? With the with the audience, I'm sure they're all just
1: nodding along, going, "Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean, Moscow." Google it, and then like just start banging your head against a bin, and it will be exactly what it was like uh, watching Leeds play on Wednesday.
2: Uh, who are we going to pick for the winner? Who who has earned our most disgrace this week?
1: I think it's Frank Lampard. What about Jodie Morris?
3: Jodie Morris and Frank Lampard and John Terry?
1: Yeah. The They're probably all going all day together, the pricks. And uh, maybe make some home videos. Or mock the dead of a terrorist attack. Which Whichever feels more appropriate to them at the time.
3: Maybe find the two. Probably going away for a fortnight.
2: <laughs> Do both. Do both. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody who's ever played for Chelsea, basically. Congratulations. Yep. Well done. Uh, onto the Andy Hughes Hero Awards, somebody who has at least cheered us up a little bit. Stuart Dallas, good performance. The only shining light in a sea of turd. Calvin did all right. And then he was upset, which was sort of nice to see, oddly, that he was as upset as, as we all were. Doesn't feel, though, like we can give anybody an award for losing so spectacularly in the playoffs, though. So anybody else? Uh, Ross McCormack's agent. Oh, yes, he's done I it. it. If <laughs> Phila do go up, he's going
3: to be on £70,000 a week next year. Having not played for them in, for two
1: years, please God, tell me that's the last year of his fucking contract.
3: He's done so well. He's done. He's done incredible. We need to get him on board with this podcast somehow. Because
1: <laughs> if he just signs up to Extra Ball, because remember it is a minimum donation of uh, three pounds a month. So wants to give a subscription. Say, if well, if anyone's listening,
3: if Ross McCormack's listening, you don't really deserve seventy grand a week. Why not pay us ten grand a month for a podcast? <laughs>
1: It would solve a lot of problems. That Motherwell loan uh, movie appears according to Wikipedia. I don't know if it's been updated. Three games, no goals. So that was good. But they got a nice social uh, media video out of it. God bless him. I hope he's got some of that money left. Can we
2: please give a nod to Barry Glendinning of the newspaper fame? Is, is it the Guardian he writes for, Barry? Mm-hmm. Um He put us in the Fiverr, which is their email that they put out. It goes on their website as well. And he linked our defeat in the playoffs to that, Football Supporters Federation Award eight years ago, which I proudly carried and fell out of a taxi with. It was made out of glass. If you are a long-time listener of the podcast, you'll know the reference. If not, we were up for the uh, FSF Awards. We won... Fanzine of the Year, the very first, the very first Fanzine of the Year award. We got a glass trophy. We beat uh, Scum's United yeah. beat stand as well. We got absolutely arseholed. We got a taxi back to our hotel. I stumbled out of the taxi with the box containing a glass trophy and it shattered into a million dangerous
1: little sharp pieces. And Barry mentioned it in his article, which is a great callback. Yeah, Thank so you, Barry. Headline was uh, rave reviews and precisely nothing to show for their efforts. And he did say that the analogy did break down. Somewhat, when you consider that Leeds actually didn't win anything in the first place, but that was a traumatic. Uh, uh, my main memory of that is waking up in the morning because we all slept in the same hotel room, and the first words I I heard was you just going, "I'm really, really sorry," <laughs> and me not like it took me a while to remember that wasn't even what about happened. the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you kept that it in your uh, night in London. <laughs> You kept it in your house, Michael, for years until eventually the, I think, I think, the I, I think, uh, of children.
3: Yeah, I think I think
1: when the kids were about to be
3: born, my wife was like, <laughs> we can't keep a box of broken glass in the spare room, which is fair point. <laughs> it's dangerous. Health and safety gone mad, in it. it?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Anybody else? Marcelo Bielsa, for a specific reason, not just, I think we nominated him previously just as hero of the season, but... Um, among the, the reporting of, uh, of all the goings-on over the last week or so, it was mentioned that during during the season, he underwrote the cost of the uh, the Thorparch uh, staff Christmas raffle, including an £11,000 car that, uh, that he, he donated as a prize. And the, the extra detail, it was confirmed, Global Auto Care confirmed, that he got it from them. Global and Auto a- Care wants to give us a free car.
3: <laughs> we would have that. Yeah. And just to uh, confirm that
1: we won't be <laughs> as embarrassed by it as the person who won because apparently the staff member who did win it thought it was so extreme a prize that he sold it and split the proceeds with all the other staff who'd entered the raffle. So it's good to see that Salim uh, well, Lamrani's <laughs> lessons in socialism are obviously going down very well at Thorparch, And, uh, and yeah, if they want to turn that wealth distribution and the car distribution in our direction... We'll gladly take part of that. But yeah, Marcelo Bielsa is uh, giving away cars at Christmas. It's very much, she's the Oprah Winfrey of Thorpe Arch, I think. I heard a little rumour that he'd signed a contract over
2: the weekend. Don't know whether it's true or not. For a Volkswagen Golf. (laughs) PCP deal yet, no. uh, One to manage Leeds United for another year. So that'd be nice, wouldn't it, if he did that? Who did you hear that rumour from?
1: (laughs) Let's move on. Do you want to pick a winner? Well, if that's true, then you. No. if you no, tell no, me no. that Marcelo Bielsa is definitely staying for a year then I will give you all the awards you were
2: reminded that I broke one so that cancels it out so really who are we have in
3: I think in a week thin on entrance I think Ross McCormack's agent is a strong contender it gives us a little extra leads thing to support during the final
1: it's audacious I admire audacity <laughs> and I admire seeing what Ross McCormack will spend it on new, new garden wall and this is where we
2: preview the playoff final. Uh we are facing Aston Villa because we beat Derby County convincingly on Wednesday. Are you looking forward to our trip to Wembley? Very happy. We got the the room all booked, got
3: the yep.
1: travel booked, got our tickets.
2: Can't remember which stand we're in at Wembley.
1: The um The big one. The big yeah, it's a big bowly, isn't it? Bowley one. Yeah. Beneath the twin towers. <laughs> Uh, good to see them again <laughs> uh,
2: yeah so Aston Villa against Frank Lampard's Derby County Bank Holiday Monday who do we want to win surely it's got to be Villa we did touch on this in the, uh, the grief cast I mean I know it's like picking your favourite disease isn't it but surely we're leaning towards Villa in this as much as we hate Grealish and he's a diving twat and Dean Smith has whinged and we don't want to see him go up after we he, he had words to say about us celebrating like we'd won the league but 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 I've always liked their kits
1: yeah <laughs> And they're a they're a big club, decent club, Premier League club. They've got a lovely ornate brick stand. They have so that's that's worth that should be in the Premier League. Whereas Derby's Nouveau Rich efforts terrible. It's uh, it's exactly the same as the Riverside, isn't it? The Pride Park. Mm-hmm. Those it? two stadiums, I believe, are identical. Yep. It's like a yeah, it's just like a new build estate. Proud. How would you be proud of a stadium that is just Middlesbrough's just in a different place? It's fucking ridiculous. And yeah, Derby. The whole story, because we know how, assuming Villa win, we know what happens after that. Frank Lampard leaves and uh, Derby go through it all again and they have to play us again next season. And given that it took Frank Lampard three games, three and a half really, to work out how to beat uh, Marcelo Bielsa's team. He didn't even ever work it out. We just helped him. Yeah. (laughs) And just fire it through the middle at the dodgy keeper. Then whoever takes over from them, Tony Pulis, I assume, they can sing the funny songs. He's Tony Pulis. He's won more than, well, he's kept Stoke up more than you. And that will be fucking hilarious. I think just in terms of the backlash
2: that we need to hand out to Derby fans, it's important that Villa win on, on Monday. This
1: is it. We we said uh, at the end of the grief cast that we don't need to get wound up by any of the stuff that's been on social media. And we've seen a lot of people turning up at work to like framed photographs of Frank Lampard and, empty bottles representing the bottle that leads night. You don't have, and all this stuff that's, you know, let it wash over you. Take it. It's like fine. We, we gave it large to Derby. Just acknowledge it, take it back, ignore it as much as you can. And then when they lose, give it all back, give it all back. Times and, and, 10, and times they, 100. And they can say, yeah, but we beat you. And we could just say, it was well, meaningless. Yeah, what difference does what that make? the made? fucking point of it? And there's a, uh, the lovely quote from, uh, Bielsa, that included in the match report that is possibly worth bringing up here again. Marcelo Bielsa once said uh, about winning that after you win a match, there is a sensation of effervescence, a sensation of the adrenaline going to the top, the generous excitation and happiness, but those are only five minutes. And after that, there is that enormous and huge emptiness and an indescribable loneliness. So that's the way that Bielsa looks at winning is that it's just a prelude to defeat and that indescribable loneliness. Derby fans aren't really prepared for that, that enormous and huge emptiness that is going to come their way. Whereas we were. (laughs) Well, Bielsa said all along, he says, yeah, I don't win these games. But yeah, they can come back and say, yeah, we beat you. And just say, well, are you happy now? Are you happy about losing to Aston Villa? Because that's the way that football works. You win one week, you lose the next week and they're going to lose to Aston Villa. It's going to be great.
2: Well, on that note we will sign off for this season the good news is we're not going anywhere Uh, more summer podcasts on the way we've got a summer special magazine in the pipeline as well all that details on the website and that's where you'll find the extra ball as well the stable mate to this podcast if you do like this and you want to get behind us we're going to carry on doing that over the summer please subscribe to the extra ball check it out for free for a month it's at the squareball.net and uh, that's it for this time back next week then shall we and talk about
1: well we'll talk about something Bielsa's new contract
2: Villa's victory Villa's promotion my new car
1: a delicious cup of coffee at Lane's as well, I think.
2: Sounds beautiful. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you then. The Square Ball Podcast.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.